With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, later will be joined by Robin Washett. He's chasing Fred Hoiberg and Matt Abdelmasi in recruiting news somewhere right now, Nate, as it's kept Robin pretty busy. Yeah, it has. And this is the first time, I think, where <laughs> basketball, there's been more more basketball news going on in the spring than, than football. And legitimate news. So yep. we'll, we're, we're going to have Robin on for two full segments as Nebraska basketball has added more good four-star type guys to this roster and uh, another commit out of Western Kentucky, a traditional transfer. So Robert will join us, but let's get to this first, Nate, the, the, the sobering weekend that was NFL draft. Everybody was having fun in Nashville. I wanted to be in Nashville, by yep. the way. How sweet. 600,000 people. Yeah, that looked awesome. Um, just disrupting every bachelorette party going on <laughs> um, with guys in their jerseys and, and whatnot. But Everybody had fun in Nashville except Nebraska fans because the 56-year streak is over. Nebraska has had a player drafted 56 consecutive years in the NFL common draft. That is no longer as uh, Stanley Morgan, Devino Zigbo, Luke Gifford, no draft picks. And uh, Morgan signed um, immediately with the Bengals, undrafted free agent deal. Devino Zigbo with the Saints, Luke Gifford, Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, some of these guys still get good money. Like Luke Gifford got $50,000 for signing bonus. So I'd imagine Morgan and Ozigbo are in that same boat, still not near what you'd get as a draft pick. Dedrick Young, a undrafted free agent deal with the Cleveland Browns. Gerald Foster, a mini camp invite, so not a deal yet with yep. the Giants. Tanner Farmer has mini camp invites to Indianapolis and Houston. Aaron Williams got an undrafted free agent deal uh, with the Cardinals. And Cole Conrad got a mini camp invite with the Vikings. So a number of guys are going to get opportunities. I'd imagine three to four of those guys are going to get into a practice squad at minimum. But, man, that was a rough Saturday for Nebraska fans. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I'd be lying if I told you that that I was shocked, you know, once the once the fifth round ended or even, you know, once you got into the sixth round and there still weren't any Huskers called. But uh, I'd also be lying if I told you that that I, I was prepared for for nobody to have their name called, and I was I was pretty I was pretty shocked, and um, you know, and, and there's a number of reasons why it probably happened, but um, you know, it, that was one of those records that I think that you always you always felt like well there would always be at least one guy that that sneaks in there, but they'd kind of been playing a dangerous game for the last two or three years now where. You know, One combine invite this year. Yeah. I think last year they had Nick Gates, Chris Jones, and Tanner Lee. Yeah. So they had three combine invites last year with just one draft pick and Tanner Lee. And he was a seventh round guy, wasn't he? In seven? Uh, six, I think. Okay. He was a pick two o something. Like, and then and then Nate Gary the year before that he was a late, late fourth fifth. He was he that early? I thought he was later than that. Uh, yeah, it, it was definitely it was definitely in the, the Saturday. Yeah. So yeah, they haven't had a bona fide Friday guy. Yeah. Since Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine. Yeah. So I mean, that's a long, long time. And uh, and I don't know. I, I said I said on Saturday after it was over that you know maybe this is one of those deals where you can finally kind of wipe the slate clean and and start fresh because there's been a lot of other programs that have gone through this. You you've had Texas a few years back went through it. They didn't have any draft picks. Even this year, Tennessee no draft picks. Who were the? There was like two or three other programs uh, in addition to Nebraska that were are like traditional. You know, maybe not necessarily the blue blood that Nebraska is, but right up there. Um, you know, they have won you know national championships or played for national championships before that didn't have anybody drafted. So 
I think Florida State may maybe uh, you know here over the in the recent history. Texas has had a year where they yeah. had no draft picks. Yeah, to, yeah, that happened. I like mean, two USC or three and UCLA. Um, it was the first time ever like they had went that late without yep. a pick. They they had picks eventually, but it was it was real late. I yeah, the first I think for USC the first guy that came off the board was like the fifth fifth round or something like that this year. And that's so, I mean, come on, I mean yeah. that that's that should never happen. No, that should never happen. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough deal for Nebraska, um, to me and that in the debate has been now, okay, so whose fault is it and why, why did this happen? First of all, I, lo- I love how people say it's Riley's fault. It's technically yeah. belief. I mean, it is. I mean, the hot take machine well, gun was it's out. It's on both of them. It's on both, but yeah. it's more, it's more the Pelini back in recruiting classes here yeah. than the Riley. We haven't even got to the Riley draft guys yet. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it definitely most of the most of the blame i think falls on Pelini. um and and like i said this is kind of they've been playing with fire for the past couple of years so this has not just been like oh well you know one of Pelini's last classes a transition class or whatever you want to call it kind of kind of fell through the cracks here no this is a deal where i think um a lot of his classes if you look at the numbers um over half of his classes over the you know over like the last four classes that Pelini signed over half those guys never even finished their career out at Nebraska and so when you're starting that far behind the eight ball um, you know you're going to have injuries that happen you're going to have other things that happen that kind of keep whittling that number down it's hard to have you know if you if you have eight you know draft eligible guys it's going to be hard to to have a you know a couple of those guys go in the draft every year. Um, and then you mix in the development part of it. And, and that could be some of that is, is on Riley. Um, but I, I think for the most part, it, it does fall on Bo. And, and so if you're going to point fingers and you're going to point blame, I, I think it falls on, you know, a lot of it falls on Bo's recruiting. Well, especially when you had Harrison Phillips, not this year, well, but the year before yep. from Omaha, Bo didn't really offer until he was forced to Easton stick who clearly would have been a better quarterback option than A.J. Bush and Zach Darlington, yep. and they wouldn't give him the time of day. And then obviously Noah Fant. Now that's more on Riley, but the Bo staff probably could have. They didn't offer. I mean, so I think Noah had kind of a sour taste in his mouth from the get-go because um, for whatever reason, they were dragging their feet on offering Noah when it was clear. It was, the first-round yeah, draft pick. It was obvious that this kid, this is an in-state guy you need to offer. Uh, they were dra- they were dragging their feet on it, and then every then the whole change happened and everything, and then you know it took a while for Riley's staff to get to get uh, you know the class that that transition class kind of put away before they they started looking ahead and started looking at, at kids in state. So that was a whole kind of a mess in in of itself. So um, yeah, but I, I think you know if you're going to point the finger, I think it starts with Bo here, um, and and uh, there's a lot of people I know that absolutely hate Riley and, and hate what, everything that happened under him. But, um, and I'm not saying that he's not partly responsible here, but it, it does start with Bo. There's, well, and it falls back to Perlman, I course, yep. uh, you know, for not giving Bo any communication to letting him know where he stood, which killed the recruiting at that point. And I mean, led Bo to think he was going to get fired. Then he kept his job another year, try recruiting that year. Yeah. When when you melt down, basically trying to get fired, and then you don't get fired. <laughs> I mean, I look at Nebraska football as a dysfunctional, divorced family that you know the kids had to suffer through the parental divorce drama yep. with coaching changes, administrator changes, and the players aren't at fault here. I, no, I mean, I, I, I'm never going to blame the players because these kids have been, especially the fifth year guys, the guys like Farmer Foster. Gifford, you know, Stanley to an extent. He read Stanley redshirt. No, he didn't redshirt. Um, but those fifth year guys really went through some crap. Yeah. When you think about the different position coaches, head coaches, administrators, etc., they had to deal with uh, three different strength coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. Take take football out of the equation. You know, coordinators or position coaches. Take that all out. Just your the time you spend in the weight room and who with a coach that you see probably more than anybody else. Uh, you had three different weight, you know, strength coaches in there. You so. get Dobson, Phillip for three, and Duvall for one. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's 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 unfortunate, but you know, the, it's the reality. I mean, if you keep hitting reset, 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 and we've seen Nebraska do it as much as anybody in this region and the country right now, um, it's going to catch up. Yeah, with it you. catches up, with and you. it finally caught up with Nebraska. Yeah, it did. So. Um, and it's un- and it is unfortunate, and you feel bad for those guys that didn't get drafted. Now, 
you know, maybe a silver lining in all this is a lot of times, you know, once, once the seventh round comes around, sometimes it is better to be an undrafted free agent and kind of have a little bit more say in where you're going to go and picking your own situation than being forced to go to a certain school so or a certain team. So, um, you know, maybe hopefully you, you see these guys, they, they picked the right spot and they ended up in the right place. Uh, that may have a greater need for for their skill set or, or whatever. So, um, so we'll see what happens there. But, um, but yeah, it's pretty sobering. And it's you know, and I know Nebraska fans were you know, I don't know if you call it embarrassed or just disappointed or what. But, um, but yeah, that's one more significant record that's basically <laughs> basically wall wiped out there. Well, we got a full show on tap, as I mentioned, uh, Robin Washett. Uh, will be joining us. And by the way, if you're curious, Nate, on the money, a seventh-round draft pick typically this year got a signing bonus between 75000 and 111000 Luke Gifford got 50000 as a high-priority undrafted free agent. So, yeah, not not a huge difference in money, but if you can get 111 guaranteed before your actual rookie guaranteed contract, which is not guaranteed, um, it, it makes a difference. But Lots to delve into here on this show as we're going to talk a lot of basketball with Robin. Nebraska added another transfer from Western Kentucky. We'll get his thoughts on that and much more next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as I'm sitting right next to the busiest guy right now in the Nebraska media, Mr. Robin Washett. As man, it's been nuts, crazy. And and you look at and we're talking Nebraska basketball here. Um, and I think we had an expectation of how it was going to go, and this is overmet it by a bunch. Mm-hmm. And let's, I mean, you got a lot to recap. Let's start with the recruiting weekend. They get their arguably number one guy on the board in Cam Mack, mm-hmm. um, a potential NBA level point guard from the Juco ranks. Thoughts on the Cam Mack commit and kind of how that's going to trickle down to more things here in this class? Yeah, he was number one on their board at maybe the biggest priority position on their board uh, in the press release after he committed. Uh, Fred Hoiberg himself said that uh, with Glenn Watson moving on, there was a glaring need for a true floor general point guard, and they got the number one guy they wanted to fill that role in in Cam Mack. He, uh, I think, was, depending on where you look, the number two or three rated junior college player in the country, uh, averaged 19 points per game, seven assists, uh, five or six rebounds, uh, really did a little bit of everything um, in his one year at junior college, was a St. John's commit, hence the connection to Matt Abdomasi. So it kind of wasn't a surprise, but the fact that they did it, I mean, that, that just kind of shows how real this <laughs> turnover has been, uh, that, that you get a guy of that profile that, you know, makes a lot of sense for him to come to Nebraska. And not only did he come to Nebraska, he did so without taking a single other official visit um, since leaving St. John. So that is the guy where it starts. I mean, obviously you got Hanif Cheatham, uh, the, the grad transfer from Florida Gulf Coast uh, by way of Marquette, uh, former four-star guy. And then you got um, Matei Kavas, who committed on Friday, uh, just before Cam Mack did, uh, the grad transfer from Seattle, uh, one of the best three-point shooters in the country. And now you have Cam Mack. And then on Wednesday, uh, they picked up a commitment uh, from Western Kentucky transfer, another former four-star. Traditional transfer, though. Yeah, traditional sit-out transfer, Delano uh, Banton, who uh, is a six-eight guard who uh, is one of those just walking mismatches on the offensive end and yeah it sounds like he's going to sit out but again you're just talking talking about reshaping this roster in such a major way to where every addition they're bringing in fits a specific need for Fred Hoiberg's offense and system to run at its full full efficiency yeah you look at a guy like Mac I mean could he be the leading leading scorer on this team next year? I wouldn't think so, you know, because I don't think he needs to be. You have Gervais Green, you have Deshaun Burke, and those are two volume scorers who, I mean, that that's what they do. They score the basketball, whereas uh, Mac is a facilitator, and he's the guy that you just put the ball in his hands and let him go make a play. You run a, a high uh, ball screen at the top of the key, and you let him just make a play. Either that's kicking out to Kavas for a three or uh, hitting a back cut to, you know, Gervais Green uh, or, or whatever it may be. They have so many options of versatile scorers now uh, that they've already assembled with more room to go uh, to where you just you just have Cam Matt go make plays. And that, that's 
that's what he does the best. I mean, he probably could have averaged 10 assists per game at the junior college level if he wanted to. But in JUCO, you're basically scoring to get noticed, and he certainly did that. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we talk recruiting here and, and all the news that's happened. Now, Nebraska, Robin, has been in the market for a big man in this class, whether it was Jace Johnson um, out of Utah and then Kerry Blackshear out of Virginia Tech. What are the updates or anything that you could share on the addition of a possible big man at this point? Yeah, I'd say probably number one on the list is Jace Johnson, uh, seven foot, 230-some pound grad transfer uh, out of Utah who, uh, I mean, he's a big, obviously a big dude, but he is athletic and he can get up and down the floor. He's, um, you know, pretty uh, agile for that frame. So that makes him, you know, kind of another one of those fits for what they want to do. So not only does he provide size that they desperately need, but he can also play within the flow and pace that, that they want. And, so, and he's a grad transfer. Yeah, and so he took an official visit this past weekend uh, along with Cam Mack and uh, left without committing. And this weekend, he's taking an official to Marquette. And I would imagine that a decision um, is going to come between those two schools probably within the next few days following that official to Marquette. So I think Nebraska's in a good spot with him. And if they can get him, holy cow. I mean, then you're talking about you got your seven-foot center. You got, uh, you know, you're basically – Your point guard. Yeah, you got your point guard. You, you got, got some your, shooters. You got two volume scorers. You got Hanif Cheatham who could be – Essentially, uh, I think he's about six five, but he could play play six seven and be kind of like a Ryan Anderson four type. Where I mean, there does, Ryan uh, Anderson. Yeah, I mean seriously, I mean he was a, a small guy, but he played the four, and I could envision a fairly similar role if necessary. And they also had a couple power forwards that have visited too. Um, uh, Kevin Cross, kid from Arkansas, uh, six eight, two hundred forty pounds. The kid from Paris, um, Yvonne Oyedrogo. I probably butchered that name, but it's something to that effect. A lot of vowels. Uh, he's a six, seven, six, eight, two hundred thirty pound power forward from the two thousand nineteen class. So they have a lot of different names. And then Joel and Tomboy, uh, the power forward from UNLV, who visited over the spring game. He's got his name in the NBA draft right now, and could potentially come back on the market if you know the the draft doesn't work out. So that's a name to keep an eye on as you know, they look to fill these spots. So there's a lot of different ways they can go. But right now, um, with the work they've done in such a short amount of time to assemble essentially four-fifths of a starting lineup with you know a couple guys uh, very much on the horizon to join that cast, uh, it's, you got, can do nothing but tip your hat to Fred Hoiberg and his staff uh, for really turning this thing around in a hurry. Robin Washett doing this with no notes in front of him, by the way, <laughs> which is impressive. And you know, if you're like me, a busy young dad with kids and don't have time to keep up with every report, every Monday, Robin does an updated recruiting board. Um, next Monday or this upcoming Monday will be the fourth edition of that. And it is the best piece of basketball content I think we've ever had on the site, Robin. Well, thanks. Um, that at least gives, you know, the guy that doesn't have time to read all of Robin's stories, which hopefully all you read all of Robin's stories, right? Uh, but gives oh, yeah. you a chance to... Um, you know, catch up on everything in one piece of who's on the board, who's committed, numbers, et cetera. Um, and and you, you need to have that on there. And let me ask you this, Robin, with Hoiberg's background as a pro coach, I think everybody knew it had value. But now that you're seeing this play out, I mean, how much more value does that carry than you even maybe thought? I mean, that's the number one recruiting tool a coach could possibly have is can you put dudes in the league? And clearly – Fred Hoiberg was able to do that at Iowa State. And, oh, by the way, he was a GM in the NBA. He was a head coach in the NBA. Uh, he can pull out his phone and give you the contact information for every head coach and every GM in the league. That is a resource that you cannot put a, a, an amount on the value that that has right there. And that's why you're getting guys like Cam Mack, who very well could be uh, not playing three his remaining three years of eligibility in Nebraska because he's making a jump to the NBA. I mean, the, the, these are the types of guys they're getting. Gervais Green is probably going to be in the same boat. Uh, and so, I mean, you have guys that uh, – I mean, guys want to play in the, in the NBA. That's why they're playing basketball. And if you have a guy – and Fred Hoiberg, that has such a reputation of not only translating players and developing players, but has the resources and connections to help um, take that next step. I mean, facilities and you know, conference and location, that only gets you so far. But if you have that selling point that you can put guys in the NBA, that makes you an immediate player at a major scale. Because every guy that's leaving, let's face it, it's mostly because they have pro aspirations, right? I mean, a right. lot of guys that leave good situations – 
for whatever odd reasons, it's usually because they want to at least be an overseas guy at minimum. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or obviously a G League or, or NBA guy. And I think the G League, I mean, so this is kind of shifting conversation a little bit, but like with an Isaiah Roby, like you're going to see first rounders start in the G League. Like that's going to become a, a much more common thing than it has been in years past. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much more opportunity. I well, think. the Creighton guy from Omaha yeah, North. Justin, Justin Patton. He, yep. he played most of his NBA time in, in the G League. Yeah, so, I mean, that's going to become more the norm, especially as they take, you know, with the one-and-done situation being what it is. got to get guys an opportunity to further develop. And so having that connection and, and that ability to expediate the process to make yourself more pro ready. That's going to be a major tool for Fred Hoiberg. All right, we're going to continue this basketball conversation here next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett as we continue the discussion of Nebraska basketball. I think we've broken a record on basketball time on this show, especially in April and May as uh, we are going to go a whole other segment here because it's worthy of another segment as Fred Hoiberg and his team of recruiters have been the busiest guys on campus for Nebraska. So they've added four new guys, Robin? Uh, Three. Three. Well, re-recruited Gervais Green, so four if you count him. And then as far – and then obviously all their high school guys have stayed on their letters. Well, uh, they kept a call rope uh, from Omaha Creighton Prep, but then uh, Micah Adams-Woods, the point guard from uh, Syracuse, New York, he uh, requested his release, and though he said he's still considering Nebraska, that ship has sailed, and uh, obviously getting Cam Mack kind of addresses the need for a point guard there. So I, I would not count on him being back. You know, what's interesting about this change, Robin, maybe compared to Tim Miles and Doc Sadler before, is there was roster attrition, roster turnover to an extent. But this is <laughs> this is more than an extent when you kind of look at – I mean, yeah. you're going to go into the Pinnacle Bank Arena for the open practice whenever they do that in October or whenever it is, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of anticipation of just what does this team look like? Yeah, and you know, like you said, there's there's been turnover, but nothing to this extent. Where, I mean, there's obviously, I mean, natural expected turnover with the, the amount of seniors and Isaiah Roby potentially making the jump to the NBA, uh, but you know, you, you got. Guys moving on uh, from the program that um, I don't think was completely unexpected, but to have that many players that were on scholarship a year ago no longer be uh, with the program, I mean, that that definitely uh, is the definition of a complete roster overhaul. And honestly, I mean, again, I don't think anybody's stunned by it. I think maybe the surprising thing is that it's all happening so quickly and how quickly Nebraska has been able to fill those voids uh, to where uh, right now your roster is fairly in place outside of a few additions that would be immediate impacts next year and then maybe some sit-out transfers uh, down the road. So uh, it, I think just the the speed in which it's all happened. I mean, from the time Tim Miles was fired to uh, the taping of this show today, there's been so much that's happened with guys leaving, guys coming, guys you know being offered, taking visits, uh, that it kind of makes your head spin a little bit. And so that's probably the most surprising thing of all of it, just the volume and speed that all this is going down. As you've watched Matt Abelmasi from afar, how does he do it? I mean, what what is he doing? I mean, is he just glued to his phone and texting and calling? I mean, it's just his network of sources two transfers and kids it's it's unlike anything we've ever seen yeah he's got to have an unlimited data plan for sure because that dude is on his phone non-stop and if you have kids you have an unlimited data yeah. plan. <laughs> that's what that's what makes uh him you know regarded as one of the best uh, recruiters in the country and especially a transfer recruiter i mean that's that's why he's being paid three hundred eighty thousand dollars a year to do exactly what he's doing right now uh, nebraska has mind the transfer market uh, as much, maybe even more so, as everyone expected they would. And not only are they getting transfers, they're getting elite-level players. I mean, t- former top 100 players uh, that are coming in here that you know could be pros in a year or two and some guys that could be immediate impact starters next year. So um, I would expect that to continue. Um, now, Nebraska certainly isn't the norm in doing that or isn't the uh, – uh, the odd man out doing that, like maybe uh, the staff was at Iowa State, just because of the nature of transfers in college basketball. But um, that is going to be an area that Nebraska will continue to hit year in, year out. So get used to it, and uh, Matt Abdomasi is going to continue to make that or earn that paycheck. And I feel like it's been almost easier here than Iowa State, especially at the beginning for Hoiberg, because Hoiberg, number one, really didn't have that big of a name yet yeah. when he got to Iowa State. He had a pro background. But I don't think his name resonated with a lot of kids quite like it does now. So 
Nebraska's getting the benefit of what he did at Iowa State, sending guys to the NBA, and then you go coach the Bulls. And, I mean, you, you can go down the list of the guys he coached. Dwayne Wade, um, who's the Memphis point guard? Um, John, not John Wall. Um, who's the, the point guard that got hurt? Uh, never could say healthy. He coached for the Bulls. Oh, Derek Rose. Derek Rose. I mean, he's coached some legitimate mm-hmm. dudes that when you talk to guys in their living room, he could be like, you remind me a lot of Derrick Rose, and he does that, and you do the exact – I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> when yeah. you say that to a kid, that's just going to get yeah. everyone out of their chair. And it talk, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, just that having that NBA presence uh, is as valuable as anything you possibly could have as a head coach. And so uh, a lot has changed since his first year at Iowa State with Fred Hoiberg's resume, and he has significant – more clout uh, to his name and kids know who he is and they know that he was in the NBA that just a few months ago he was coaching Dwayne Wade with the Bulls and so I mean that that carries a, a lot of uh, clout again with, with you go into a living room and there's a kid that's especially on the transfer market that doesn't want to mess around with his second or maybe even third stop uh, that he wants someone that is going to help him achieve his lifelong goal. And Fred Hoiberg now has a resume and a track record to not only say, uh, you know, tell him a plan, but show him specific uh, evidence of how he can do it and, you know, that he's done it before. When you look at it now, and you're going to get asked this question probably a lot, Robin, over the next few months, what is your projected best guess starting five based on what you know now? Yeah, based off and it could change like yeah, in an I hour. I mean, <laughs> seriously. So based off as we're talking right now, uh, I mean, I think that basically every new addition they've brought in is going to start. Cam Mack's going to start. Gervais is going to start. Deshaun Burke's going to start. So there's your backcourt. Hanif Cheatham, I think, is going to be kind of that 3-4 wing uh, that can play in the block if needed. And then that fifth spot, that's the that's the question. Right now, I would probably pencil in Matej Kavosk just because he's 6'8" and they just don't have a lot of height on the roster. Uh, but if they were able to get a Jace Johnson, who is your seven-footer, then that's a starter right there. And then you can toy around with some different lineup combinations with uh, you know, Matei at the four or Hanif at the four or um, you know, w- whatever it may be. So right now front court depth is going to change a lot about what that lineup picture is going to look like and by the time the season rolls around. But right now with what they have to roll out, I think you feel pretty good about that that five. Uh, it's small, uh, but as we've seen, you know, you, Fred Hoiberg's been able to accomplish a lot with small lineups like that. And as long as they can outscore their opponent, that's really that's all that matters. And then you think about how big this is going to be, but the foreign trip to Italy in August, I mean, that, that's that's going to – if this thing, like, works at Nebraska with Hoiberg, I mean, that's like part of the 30 for 30. You could not ask for a more <laughs> fortuitous uh, time to have that once-every-four-year foreign trip – uh, to basically take a, guy, a bunch of guys that have never met each other and get them to uh, become family in a very short amount of time. So uh, the, everybody's expected to be on campus, or at least the guys that right now are expected to be on campus by June uh, for the first five-week summer session, and then they'll you know start to get work done. You know, not only with their workouts, but just figuring each other out, learning how to play together, figure you know I mean just becoming friends. Uh, so there's a lot of things that need to happen both on and off the court with this roster. But just from a talent perspective, from an X's and O's perspective, uh, this this could be a much better situation in year one than I think a lot of people thought. And we're not saying NCAA tournament. No. I mean, but I mean, initially I thought 500 was going to be like a realistic but goal. But they, they could get to the NIT, I think, in year one. I mean, that's not like, I mean, yeah. and who knows? I mean, it, it, I, I think until you see the final product of the roster turn. Yeah. They need depth. I mean, right now it's hard to – I mean, they, they got a good five, but their depth is a big issue right now, and especially in the front court. So there's a lot of time for them to <laughs> – as we've seen how fastly or how fast things can happen, uh, I wouldn't be put it past them that this roster is going to look even more different uh, by the time we tape the show next week than we're doing right now. Well, and then the other challenge will be you got to get a bunch of dudes that left somewhere else for whatever reason to come all together here mm-hmm. and like each other. Yeah. I mean, that's not easy to do. Nope. There's going to be egos involved, and you know, hope. Uh, obviously, the good news is Fred's done this before. I mean, he did it at Iowa State, and he got some very. Uh, it's like he's running a G League team here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he got some pretty uh, off the wall personalities to learn how to play together at Iowa State too. So uh, I think he's confident in their ability 
to not only develop these guys as, as a team, but uh, get that locker room to the culture where they know it needs to be. Well, I'm excited, and Robin will have more and more coverage. We're going to take your questions next in the mailbag. Allie Snow, I'm sure, is going to have plenty of basketball questions. I might as well sit this one out, Robin, <laughs> as uh, we'll take more questions here next in the mailbag. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, a very busy Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus here. And pleased to welcome in Husker Online intern Allie Snow as she's had some fun watching us in the office today. It's been fun, uh, Allie, for you to get to see some breaking basketball news and other things take place behind the scenes. And welcome to the mailbag. Thank you. Well, what do you have? Uh, I know I know finals week on campus. Uh, you're wrapping up uh, with finals here, but uh, still lots to talk about. Baseball playing this weekend as well. What, what do you got in the mailbag? Well, so as you can imagine, there's lots of basketball questions today. So the first question, Nebraska ball has got to be at an all-time high in recruiting. Do you see this team gelling next season, or will it take more than one year to rebuild, even with the star power coming in? Yeah, that's a a big deal um, that's going to face this team next season, is how quickly can they get this team to play together, considering it's a roster of guys that barely know each other. I mean, they may have met for like a handful of hours uh, during an official visit, um, you know, depending on who was on campus at the same time. So um, there's a lot of work to do between, I think everybody's planning on arriving in June for the start of the first summer session. uh, And that's when the first summer workouts are going to start. So uh, that is, I mean, they're going to need to hit the ground running like they have been basically since Hoiberg was hired in just establishing a culture and leaders. And the one thing that will help in this regard is, you know, I know they want to stay away from grad transfers, but they have a lot of veteran players that have gone through this process, have played a lot of basketball at a high level um, that could take on that spot. I think Hanif Cheatham is the first guy you look to, uh, you know, a, a senior guy that's played in the Big East and, uh, you know, seen it all. I think he's going to be immediately vaulted into that leadership role. Uh, and then, you know, you hope a Deshaun Burke, who's been here, uh, that's, you know, coming back. I mean, he can elevate into that, but um, they're a new team. But they're going to be a relatively older team. So it's not like there's just a bunch of freshmen coming together. I think that'll help in that regard. And one thing that you got to take into account, too, is this is the year they have the Italy trip, the foreign tour. That's going to be huge. Where they're going to spend two weeks together overseas just with each other. And if you could talk about the most opportune time ever to have a foreign tour, this would be it. So that is going to be a huge uh, bonus. As is well. that August before fall semester starts? Yeah, then? yeah August 3rd through the... 12th, I believe, 13th, 3rd thir- th- uh, through 13th. What are you going to send me the paperwork to try to send you on that trip? Hey, listen, between the Cayman Islands and uh, the Italy <laughs> trip, you know, we, we got a lot of traveling to work I out. I think so. Rachel, your wife, would be very jealous <laughs> if I sent you to Italy yeah, for two weeks. She'd probably insist on coming with, so that might be tough to work out. <laughs> All right, what's next in the mailbag? All right, what style of play can we expect to see from the new Nebraska basketball recruits next season? Well, I mean, each one of those guys is kind of fitting exactly the mold of what Fred Hoiberg wants. Uh, let's start with the point guard position, Cam Mack. Uh, he is the definition of the kind of do-it-all, run-the-show point guard uh, that did so well uh, at Iowa State. Uh, and so, I mean, they're going to put the ball in his hands and tell him to go make plays. I don't anticipate him being a 19-point-per-game guy that he was last year in junior college, but um, he's going to score, but he's also going to just be the the quarterback. And you're going to kick it out to Matej Kavas, who is a 45% career three-point shooter. You're going to get it to volume scores and Gervais Green and Deshaun Burke and try and get them in some off-ball actions. And, uh, you know, depending on what their post situation looks like, um, you know, you got some, some things to work with there. But I think primarily pace, uh, tempo, uh, spacing, and perimeter shooting – will be the hallmarks just as we expected with this team and the pieces they've assembled so far uh, fit exactly that. Taking your questions in the mailbag here, what do you have next, Allie? How does the addition of Bantone help Nebraska basketball? Well, he's going to be a sit-out guy. Uh, He uh, basically is going to sit out uh, a year as a traditional transfer, uh, and he will – I think he's looking forward to taking that year off and developing, uh, and he's – score. I mean, that's kind of what he did. He's a four-star recruit, top 100 kid out of Western Kentucky. So um, that's kind of the, 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 situation he's in he's not an immediate impact guy but he's going to help balance out the classes for next season and uh you know that i think 
probably is just kind of where, where he's going to fit in. It, it'll be nice to have him get that year, get stronger, get ready for the Big Ten, because uh, I think that's kind of something he, he knows that he needs to get better at. It's the Robin Washett mailbag here on Husker Online <laughs> Radio. What do you have next, Allie? All right, well, we're switching over to football. Um, how does our experience at cornerback slash safety measure up to the Big Ten's better passing teams like Ohio State and Purdue? Yeah, I think when you start to look at the passing within the Big Ten, it's an unknown commodity because so many quarterbacks have left this league. You know, Justin Fields did not exactly look great in the Ohio State spring game. I know it's a spring game, but didn't look great all spring. So I think there's a lot of question on what that Ohio State spring game or passing offense is going to look like. Trace McSorley is gone at Penn State. So what is their what is their passing offense going to look like? Um, I, I think there's so many questions uh michigan we know returns their guy obviously a quarterback um and and they'll be okay but i think nebraska is fine especially nate with with what they return on the defensive line that always makes the secondary look better well yeah that and i think not only does the defensive line make the secondary look better but i think it kind of goes hand in hand and and i like the some of the pieces that they have in that secondary um you know and so I, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know when you look at what's there for Nebraska and, and the the strides that that defensive line has already made, I think that it's fair enough to to assume that they're going to continue to to get better even throughout the summer and um, and that uh, and through fall camp. So uh, that you know that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. Bryce Benhart is a monster OT, even as an incoming freshman. Does he help stabilize the line for 2019, or do they ease him in with a red shirt's four games and keep a more regular rotation for stability? You know, both Nate and I were asked that question in the chat this week as well, and I think a lot of that's going to be Zach Duvall and his reports to the staff because when he gets here in June, they'll really get a test drive him and see what he can do, how much weight he can put on, how strong he is. Because I think these are all things they don't even know yet, like as far as getting him in the weight room and seeing what he can really do in their system. Um, so that will be big for him. And then the four-game redshirt rule, they'll have some flexibility maybe in a South Alabama game or a Northern Illinois game or Illinois game. One of these earlier games where they're going to be able to hopefully get him on the field. To me, Nate, the, the key is they now have more quality bodies, and they've got to keep increasing the quality bodies because – They've been playing the last three, four years with maybe five, maybe six quality bodies at best, and that's just not enough in the Big Ten. No, it's not enough at all. I mean, you need you need a legit ten quality bodies or more, and um, and I don't remember the last time Nebraska necessarily had that, but I think Ben Hart has the talent to play as a true freshman. Um, and a lot of it, like you said, Sean, is going to come down to you know where he's at physically. You know, can he come in and can he handle it? right away or or is he going to need uh to redshirt I, I think he plays um and I think he plays beyond the four game redshirt rule um and, and I'm not going to say that he's going to start and that he's going to come in and unseat Farniok and all this but at the very least I think that he's going to be a guy that can provide some depth there at that right tackle position and um you know his his future is very very bright and I know this staff is very high on what he can become and and so they're excited to get him on campus and start working with him Taking your questions here in the mailbag as we got time, Allie, for about one more. What do you have to end on here? All right. Which football coaching resume have you most enjoyed covering during your time covering Husker football, whether due to having the best relationships, the most practice access, or the most excitement surrounding the program? So which football regime? Regime. What regime. did I say? <laughs> what? Resume. Resume. <laughs> That's French. <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you're, okay, well. As far as what I've, I mean, obviously the Frost one's going to be right up there for me just because, I mean, I go back, I mean, like Scott Frost, I knew him almost 20 years ago when I was a freshman, sophomore in college. I mean, I worked around him and he did some meet. I was a spotter for him for a Nebraska Utah State game that was aired only on online TV. It was Kevin Kugler, Scott Frost, and I was their spotter. Um, so just seeing Scott grow and, and then knowing all a lot of these guys that are on his staff, like Greg Austin. It's up there for sure for me. I mean, I really liked some of the Pelini guys, too. I mean, there were a lot of guys, not Bo, but the other guys on the staff that were great guys to work with. I mean, Jeff Jamrog, I've got a lot of respect for him. I mean, I, he, he was recruiting a guy that played on my high school basketball team and football team with me. So I knew Jeff when I was like a senior in high school um, and, and, and whatnot. So I, I always had a lot of respect for several of Bo's guys. And, you know, I think Callahan, he gets a bad rap, but – 
uh, I would still go Frost as my as my number one, obviously, and it's very early to say that. Yeah, I'm probably in the same boat, and a lot of that is because of some of the familiar faces, you know, guys that are now my age a little bit. So uh, it's not uh, the, the age gap necessarily as it was in earlier uh, coaching staffs. And I mean, no one, a guy like Barrett Root, I, I played football against him in high school. And so I covered Greg Austin at the, at the Daily Nebraskan. And so, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of relationship there that um, goes back a long time. And, you know, I think the fact that you know, we're just kind of a little bit more peers now. That makes it a little more fun to, to kind of just having known these guys and seeing how they've developed over the years. Yeah, I think I've, I've got to go with the Frost staff here um, for a lot of the reasons that you guys have said. You know, I was I was actually working at Nebraska when when uh, Greg Austin came in and, and when Barrett Rood was in the program. And um, and so, yeah, you're you kind of you're you're not necessarily um, you're kind of on the same level as far as, you know, your age goes and everything. But um, you know, working with the Callahan staff, I think to me, that was, that was a pretty unique experience. And I liked all those guys, you know, I, I, I really did like genuinely like that entire staff. Um, a lot of times and a lot of staffs that I've been, that I worked on or worked for, um, there's only a couple coaches that you, that you really got along with. And, and then some guys that you, you just didn't really, you know, mesh well with. And that Callahan staff for me, I, I got along with all those guys. Um, you know, some were a little bit different than others, but, um, yeah, that staff. And then of course, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think covering frost staff here. And I think, uh, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of winning going on in the future. All right, when we come back, we're going to close the show with some recruiting talk. Nate Klaus was down in Kansas at Highland Community College. He caught up with Jakeem Green and has some more insight from that trip. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, final segment of the show as we're going to talk some recruiting here. Um, we already hit on it, Nate, in, in the open, but just the the no draft picks for Nebraska and, and kind of a microcosm of of just years and years of misrecruiting and development, et cetera. So we're not going to beat the horse much more as I feel like the entire Nebraska media market, we've beat that horse all week. Now, you, over the weekend, um, were probably watching the draft from afar, but you were down in Kansas City and also Highland, Kansas, um, you know, doing a number of things. But I want to start with your trip down to Highland Community College. You had a chance to go to their practice, uh, particularly to see an, an interview with Jakeem Green. Um, your, your overall impressions, just spending some time face-to-face with him, eyeballing his body, compared to maybe Nebraska's defensive lineman. What are your thoughts on this guy after seeing him in person? And could he be an impact guy that um, plays a lot of snaps this year? Yeah, he was at practice, not practicing, but he was at the practice. And and I'll tell you what, I, you know, after being able to, to see him in person, actually stand next to him and, and talk with him, have a conversation with him uh, for quite a while, I feel like there's um, a very, very good chance that he comes in and, and contributes right away. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't say that he's going to come in and unseat any of the starters uh, necessarily, but I think you know Tony Tuioti has talked about wanting to have a rotation of s- at least six guys and maybe even upwards of eight uh, that he can get you know as many as five really really good reps out of um, you know in a row, and and I and I see Jakeem Green being that guy. I think he could certainly come in and do that, and and maybe. You know, maybe one of the more interesting things to me about him is that he's he's six four, pushing six five, three hundred and five, three hundred and ten pounds. Not a lot of bad weight on him, and he's, I mean he's just massive. He's got broad shoulders. Uh, he's just a big dude, and um, and he's in. He looks to be in fairly good shape. You know, obviously he's not going to be in the same type of shape as the guys that are already on campus. But I don't think that, you know, if when he gets on campus, which will probably be end of June, beginning of July, somewhere in there when he finishes his. So he his, could be second five week session. Maybe yeah. I mean, do they put a lot of guys in second five week session with training camp butting up against it? Or is yeah, it hard I, to say? I'm not I'm not sure how how the, how this staff likes to do that. I know previous staffs have. Um, but with the incoming guy, um, you know, coming out of Juco, Juco, I'm not sure if they would or not, but. But I do think that you know he he said he's going to be in Lincoln towards the end of June, beginning of July, and and I think that uh, you know after you know with a good month or so with Duval, uh, he he's he could be not far away from uh, from being a major contributor, and and I like the fact that they've talked with him about playing nose tackle and 
defensive end. And so he's going to be moving back and forth between the two positions. And he mentioned something to me that was interesting was that uh, they're going to be flipping back and forth between a three-man front and a four-man front. And so they're going to be utilizing him uh, in a number of different positions across that that defensive line and and kind of taking advantage of his versatility. Yeah, and Shenander said that to me multiple times. He goes, we're not just a 3-4. And I think everyone assumes they're a true 3-4. They can play 4-3. I'll say this right now, Nate. I believe the defensive line, without a doubt, will be the most improved position on this team. I don't even know what I'd go with number two at this point. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. But there's no question that it, that's the D line that is the number one position, and um, and that was fairly evident from talking with a lot of the coaches during spring football. Uh, a lot of the offensive coaches, you know, in particularly um, Ryan Held. I mean, he he gushed about the job that that whole group had done and, and the strides that they had made, and and about Tony Tuioti and everything. So um, I think that's going to be a group that takes a, a huge leap forward. And Jakeem Green is, is you know, going to play a large role in that. Now, ideally, with him having a redshirt year, I think it would be it would be good for Nebraska if they had the depth to go ahead and redshirt him. Play him four games. Yeah, play him in four games, redshirt him, save that year of eligibility, and then have him for two full seasons after this year because – you do lose so many players after this this fall. I think you're graduating five defensive linemen. But um, I think he's going to be good enough to where they're not going to necessarily have that luxury. So, I mean, we'll see. But uh, just put it this way. I was very, very impressed with him both, uh, you know, just from talking with him and then obviously from with, with how he looked because a lot of Juco guys, you know, he's not going through practice right now. He's only got like one class that he's, that he's doing. And so, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of times those guys are, you know, they're not doing a whole lot. They're, they're not necessarily really motivated and, um, you can see their bodies kind of go and, um, and, and Jakeem looks to be in pretty darn, darn good shape. It's remind you know, when we're on those bowl trips, Nate and Nebraska's played the sec a lot of times in bowl games, whether it's Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, since they've been in the big 10 and you'll be at either the hotel or a team function and you see like the Georgia defensive lineman or the Tennessee guy or the South Carolina guy. And I just look at you and you look at me and we're just like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, this guy look to me, it feels like he's got that kind of body. And I, that's what I mean by that. When you see the bodies of some of these sec guys, because this is a guy that probably should be, he should be. Oh, in the he SEC. should be. Yeah. And Nebraska kind of stole one here because of a technicality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, He's from Sumter, South Carolina, and and he committed early to South Carolina to go back home, essentially. Uh, but he also had offers from from Georgia, from Tennessee, from Alabama. Uh, I mean, he basically all, you know, half the half the SEC uh, or half the best top, you know, best teams in the SEC offered this guy. He he essentially had his pick to of where to go play in that conference, but because he had to take an online math class in order to graduate. Um, you know, that basically, uh, you know, I guess it disqualified him, uh, from being able to play in the entire conference. And, um, and this might be the one technicality that Nebraska or the big 10 has ever had over the SEC, because it always seems like that conference has some sort of loophole to, to get guys into it or into the conference or into, especially when you compare the big 10s academics. Exactly. So, you know, Nebraska tip your hat to Ryan held. He, he's, he got on this right away. And, and, uh, and, and Jakeem even told me that he said, you know what? I've talked with Ryan held for a long, long time. God, now, he's good. They never offered me. Um, and I think it, the reason why they never offered is because they're like, okay, well, he's going back home. Like, that's the deal. But Ryan Held always stayed in touch with him. And then all of a sudden, when this whole thing fell through, guess who was there? It was Ryan Held. And, and he, <laughs> he's and, everywhere. He is. And, and he knew all the technicalities. He knew everything was going on. And, uh, and he said, we can get you into Nebraska. And they lined up a trip to get up to Lincoln for that junior day. Two weeks later, he was at the spring game, and he committed Sunday morning after the spring game to Nebraska and now he's going to be on campus into June beginning of July and and potentially helping the the defensive line out in a big way this fall now you were down there uh, you talked to a number of coaches whether from Highland or other coaches that were recruiting in the area for division one programs did you hear anything interesting about Dedrick Mills while you're down there and then what other things maybe did you pick up from conversations with coaches that you talked to um, down in the Highland, Kansas City area. Well, with uh, with Dedrick Mills, you know, or Dedrick, I always want to say Dedrick because of Dedrick Young. It's uh, it's Dedrick though. Darren Dedrick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so with Dedrick, <clears throat> he 
he's they, they, he still has some work to do. So it's not. I mean, and we we argued a little bit off air about. I mean, yeah. it's not a. Sl- I I'm in the camp. This is a done deal. Nebraska's on it. But it's not like he's getting maybe the type of support necessary down at Garden City with an entire new coaching staff down there. Yeah. So I mean, and, and I'm not saying he won't make it. I think it's very possible he does. Very and and probably even likely that he does. But it, I w- what I was told is it's not a slam dunk that that he makes it, and uh, he's still got some work to do. And uh, so we'll see what happens. But a, a lot of that is because there's been a coaching change, and um, you know Jeff Sims is no longer in Garden City, and he was a Jeff Sims guy, and and he's not practicing. Great, and all, I mean, all guys, Greg Bell's old coach. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure there's no hard feelings there because Greg Bell made his own bed. But you know, just yeah. the. The optics of that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange situation. And so <clears throat> you've got you've got Mills in Garden City uh, taking two or three classes right now, and and <clears throat> I mean he's essentially kind of a he's just a regular student. He's not necessarily receiving you know the full support. Uh, I don't think of uh, and this was this is all coming from uh, sources from sources from a, from another coach. Um, from from how he has heard it or how he has seen it, uh, and those had, are the guys that usually know. Yeah, and um, you know, and he had been down in Garden City two days prior to when I was talking with him. So um, you got the rated R version. Yeah, I mean, you didn't get the. Uh, I, it wasn't the PG thirteen. You know, it was this is the this is the rated R uh, version of. And and he basically told me he's like, well. You know, um, I wouldn't hold your breath on. on Is there that some happening. rated R language involved? Yeah, too? yeah, a little bit. And I like so, that. You go uh, down to those JUCOs. It gets it gets a little rough down there. Oh yeah, no, yeah. You, you always you always see some stuff at, at JUCO <laughs> practice or or even the games or whatever. It's always a always a good time. But uh, but yeah, so you know, uh, with Diedrich Mills, it's it's not necessarily a done deal. You know, we'll see what happens. And and he told me that uh, that uh, you know. It's, it can still happen, and he wouldn't be surprised if it does. But on the other hand, uh, don't be shocked if, if it doesn't happen. So so we'll see. But uh, definitely Highland Community College is a place to keep an eye on. Not only is there Jakeem Green there, but Brian George is, is arguably the top junior college corner in the country. He's visited once and, and will likely visit Nebraska again. And then they just offered Travis Geiger, another defensive lineman, um, that will uh, that is another 2020 recruit. So, uh, so we're going to he- be hearing a lot about Highland in the – in the future. All right. Well, lots to keep up on with recruiting. And as you heard earlier in the show, Nebraska basketball picked up another transfer um, as Robin Washett has been covering that better than anybody. So make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com as we'll be up to date on all of the news with both football and basketball recruiting Husker baseball on the road Saturday, Sunday, Monday because of finals week. Um, So plenty to be online. Check us out at HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 